All right, good morning. Yeah, I don't think everybody said that. Good morning. Uh, that's better. I, felt, I feel better now. Um, I need you guys this morning, so if I if have a, some sort of call and response like that, you got you to get in there with me. Um, I, I want to tell you about uh, my sermon right here that I have out of order. So, <laughs> where'd the first page go? This is, there it is. That's helpful. All right. Um, my name's Jeff Oldham. I'm the executive pastor here at Melanie Park. Our lead pastor, Todd Sapisa, is on vacation right now. I know, that's awesome, but he left me. And so, <laughs> you have me. Hey, if you guys know me, if you know our family, you know our daughter, Claire, our oldest daughter, is getting married in July. She's here with us right now, so everybody say, hi, Claire. <laughs> we love this guy. We're so proud of him. We're really excited for them. But the most exciting thing about this wedding is that it's in Michigan, and we get to travel. And my family loves to travel. We like snacks. We like to play games. We like to identify the weird smells in the car, mostly emanating from our 16-year-old son. So we just love road trips. But the most important part of the road trip for us is the playlist. We make a road trip playlist. So our son, Nathan, he's 16. He sets up a Spotify playlist, names it, and then invites everybody on the family plan to contribute to this playlist. It's a lot of fun. We play a game where we try to guess the artist and the song. We keep points. It's a blast. It's just, it's, it makes the trip go by quickly. But you may be sitting there going, Jeff, why are you telling us about your playlist? I mean, does it have anything to do with this morning? Well, I'm glad you asked because it does. This summer, we've been going through the powerful prayers of the Bible. This morning's prayer is Psalm 121. This particular psalm is part of a series of psalms called the Songs or Psalms of the Ascent. It's like God's playlist. This was for uh, Israelites who were traveling, specifically when they were traveling back to Jerusalem. They would sing these songs on the road like a playlist. Uh, it's Psalm 120 through 134. So I like to picture a group of Israelites headed back to Jerusalem, let's say for Passover, as they're traveling back, maybe from Jericho to Jerusalem, and on the road, um, they start this game. And so the leader of the, song, of the, the group starts singing, I turn my eyes to the mountains. I cannot sing, but that's as close as I could come. And so the leader, the leader sings this, and somebody in the group goes, hey, hey, hey. I know that song. That's one of the pilgrimage songs. And so the leader goes, oh, that's great, Malachi. One point for you. <laughs> it's like God's mixtape. And it's, so it's really this kind of, these psalms are these really powerful um, messages to us. This series of psalms were really important to their culture. They're prayers to be sung. These are prayerful songs that reveal God's character, his promises, his relationships to us, and how to live a God-honoring life. They were deeply embedded into their culture. 
So what we're going to do this morning is look at one of those psalms and have God reveal to us what he would say to us about his character and who we are in him. These are ancient psalms that have relevant truths to today. So before we do that, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time with my family. Um, Not just my wife and our daughter, but Lord, my spiritual family, my brothers and my sisters. We look to you, Lord. In a world that seems to have lost its way, you never do. So in the journey of life, you're there with us. You walk with us. You talk with us. You provide for us. And God, may we see that more clearly this morning. And just as Brian had prayed for those that are in a season of life where it just seems like you can't get a break, God, speak to our hearts in the deepest places. Heal those wounds, Lord, and bring us back to you. Father, speak mightily today through your word. We pray this in the sweet and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to walk through this psalm, and as we're doing that, try to picture yourself on the road to Jerusalem. Think about the terrain, though. It's not like it is, well, it is actually kind of like it is here in Lubbock, dry, arid, hot, a little cooler than today, thank you, Lord, but the difference would be the terrain, Jerusalem's on a mountain. It's in a series of mountains. And so as they're approaching, (coughs) excuse me, if they're approaching Jerusalem, they're going to be on an ascent. They're they're going to be making some uh, uh, climbing as they're going. But again, it's hot. The road conditions are a little shaky. So as you're reading this, kind of think through what would it have been like as I was traveling. So let's just jump in. If you have your Bibles, it's Psalm 121. It'll be on the screens as well. So you guys follow along with me as we go. I will raise my eyes to the mountains. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The Lord will not beat down, oh, the sun will not beat down on you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. Now, can you see how helpful this may have been to this traveling group? of pilgrims headed back towards Jerusalem. They were singing and praying these wonderful truths. The Israelite peoples were reminding themselves and each other of God's character, his protective and faithful and sustaining presence. As they traveled on these pilgrimages, these particular prayers would have been wonderfully comforting. And to tell you the truth, I could probably just read this psalm send you guys out, especially after what songs we just sang, and the truths within this psalm, and the truths within those songs, and I could say, go read this for a week. It'll be really good for you. It'll be really healing for your soul. 
I think we could be done here. Except that you guys paid full admission, and so you're going to get the thing. So I'm going to keep going. And the thing is, is that if you're a critical thinker, though, and you're reading through this psalm, if you have a discerning spirit, words and phrases matter. Then you may sense there's some irony in this this song that they're, they're singing and praying over. There's some verses that may feel a little confusing. And so there's a couple of them that just come to mind. So you can verse this and it just be this really wonderful prayer. But if you're really looking at it, look at this. Look in verse 3. He will not allow your foot to slip. Hmm, okay. Look at verse 7. The Lord will protect you from all evil. If words matter to you, these may feel a little ironic. Here's why. Slipping physically and spiritually is something I do really well. Slipping physically. I have loved to skateboard my whole life. I know I'm 55. I should grow up, but who cares? I'm going to do it. So I, if there's been times, though, that I've been riding downhill, doing something, and hit a rock. Yeah, and then physics takes over, right? All of a sudden, I'm headed towards the pavement. I have never in my entire life felt God pick me up by my armpits and go, get back on your skateboard. I'm hitting the pavement. So I've slipped physically. So if it says he will not allow your foot to slip, I don't know if ironically that's true. So physical slipping is definitely a part of my world and I have scars to prove it. What about spiritual slippage? In Romans 7, Paul makes this claim, for I do not understand my actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. The context to Romans 7 is this idea that our flesh is at war with the Spirit. The Spirit is calling me to a higher purpose, to walk in righteousness with the Lord, and my flesh wars against it. And there's times, to be honest, and you guys have may experience this phenomenon, there's times when my temptations turn to desire, my desire turns to sin, and if you've read the book of James correctly, sin leads to death. I mean, I've got issues that still plague me that I have to take to the Lord daily. Pride, lust, dissension, Listen to this list and see if you find yourself on here. Ambivalence. I just don't care. Envy. Jealousy. Comparison. We live in a world where these flourish. And the problem is, is that I do slip into them at times. I slip physically and I slip spiritually and I have scars to prove it. So how about verse 7? The Lord will protect you from all evil. I know there are people in this room that are struggling with the world right now. Um, there's been some devastating events in your life, and you think, is that true? Can't, does he protect me from all evil? I mean, there's people that have lost loved ones. There's violence, cruelty, injustice, abandonment, divorce, broken marriages sitting right in this room right now. 
And all of these events can have some devastating effects. So clearly, bad things happen to those that follow Jesus as well. And our faith in Jesus doesn't preclude us from struggle, pain, strife. We all experience the woes of life. So, what is the psalmist communicating then? And here's the reason why this is so important. Because God's word is true. And we have to stand on. Hear this clearly. In a culture like today, we have to have a a firm foundation that we stand on. Because if we don't, we listen to culture, which is always shifting. So we've got to make sure that we understand that God's word's true. So if God's word's true, then what is he saying? Well, I've learned to never take a verse out of context. You can't take one verse like the Lord will protect you from all evil out of context. Because if you take it out of context to the entire passage or the entire book or the entire Bible, we're in trouble. We look at consistencies of God's word over time to make sure that we understand what his true character is. So he must be saying something. But I've definitely come to the conclusion that this psalm is not just this traveling fun song that they sang. But I have thought, as I studied this, it's a lens to seeing one of God's most beautiful attributes, his sustaining presence. So as we read back through this psalm, look for his sustaining presence in all things. And I, I, I need the help of the Holy Spirit here, but we all need to see this clearly and fully because in a world that's shaky, this is what keeps us firm. So as go, we go through this passage, I'm going to ask the, the Holy Spirit for a little wisdom here so that we can see the Lord better. So Psalm 121, as we go back through this, here's a little breakdown. It's a poet. It's poetry. It's written in couplets. Each two verses has its own identity, and it tells something about God's sustaining presence. So as we walk through this, look for that. The first two verses are, we're going to reread these. I will raise my eyes to the mountains. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I think the psalmist has two really cool truths right here. One, he sees that this trip is going to be a struggle. Two, he is humbly admitting, and please hear this, I need help. That's why he says it. From where will my help come from? He knows he can't do this on his own. And then he answers that question himself because these pilgrimages were dangerous. They had some very swarthy characters up in the mountains as they're heading up towards Jerusalem. Jesus even tells a story about someone that gets mugged on a trip somewhere. It's the Good Samaritan story. Those are dangerous roads. The conditions were treacherous for sure. It was hot and arid again. So he says, where will my help come from? He answers it. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, this is where it switches. If you're a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in his saving grace, his power, his faithfulness, then this should be our answer as well. When we need help, the first place that we should go to is my help comes from the Lord. 
the wording is very specific. The maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist realizes that the only way to navigate the journeys of life and the dangers of the unknown is to walk with who is known, the creator of all things, of heaven and earth. See, what we believe about God in these moments, when the struggles of life come, not if, when the struggles of life come, what we believe about God is the most important thing that we can take into those struggles. It's critical. And the, the psalmist reminds us of the first thing. God is sovereign. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Sovereignty means this. God is absolute. He's the absolute authority of all things. And because of the greatest act of love ever displayed, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and raised back to life, check it out. We get access to that creator, the sovereign creator. This should give us great comfort that we worship a God that is not surprised by the things of this earth. When something bad happens, all of a sudden he, does, he doesn't go, oh man, that was, I didn't see that coming. We don't worship a God that's taken off, um, that's taken by surprise. Uh, Paul reminds us of this in Colossians 1. This is a wonderful verse that should give us comfort. And he's attaching God's sovereignty to Jesus now. The son is the image the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For him, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. Does that sound familiar? The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. So we live in America, and the authorities within America are governmental systems from the national to the local, fall under his authority. That should give us really great comfort. And like, look at this, where he is before all things, and I love this, and in him all things hold together. Think about that for a second. In Jesus, all things hold together, including the skin on my body. If he doesn't exist, this doesn't exist, and I'm a walking mess, and there's bones and muscle and garbage going everywhere. So all things are held together in him. So I've got this kind of interesting example. Let's see if I can use it. It's, this is the formula for gravitational pull. You guys know this, right? So <laughs> I never knew it. So uh, it's the Earth's gravitational field. Um, gravitational constant, mass on the earth, <clears throat> distance from the center of the earth. So if you take all of those elements, you can, you can know exactly what any object in the universe, what the gravitational pull is on it from how far it is from the earth. And you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Here's the good, good, good part of this. Gravitational constant is 6.667 times 10 to the negative 11th power. That's 11 decimal points. It's a constant. And I've read a little bit on this. If one of those decimal points changes slightly, we don't exist. Our earth is so fine-tuned by a good and creative God, the most minute switch 
than the gravitational constant. And I read one physicist that said, that would be a really bad thing. And he basically said the universe would start eating itself. We worship a sovereign God that all things, all things hold together because of who he is. So our first principle should be this. In his sustaining presence, God is absolutely sovereign. It's good to be reminded of that truth. But what, what's the next couplet tell us, though, about God's sustaining presence? So let's read verses 3 and 4. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Again, there's two fairly prominent ideas here. The first one that I'm going to borrow from another version of this verse is the ESV version that says, he will not allow your foot to be moved. Uh, I, I like that version because it feels like he's not allowing us to move because he's standing firm with us. And Paul kind of um, reiterates this in Ephesians 3.20. It's not about our standing firm. It's about his standing firm. He says this in 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, it's to him who is able. And the power that works within us is him. The reason we can stand firm is because he stands firm. He's immovable. So when the storms of life are raging around us, and I ask the question, where are you? And then the answer always comes in a picture for me. It's Jesus calmly asleep at the back of the boat. When the world is raging around us, he's immovable. This is a constant prayer or a conversation in my head. Why is this happening, Lord? Have you ever asked that? Why am I so worried about this? Why am I losing sleep over this? And this gentle voice always reminds me, just trust me. I'm at work. Keep your eyes on me. Kind of like looking to the mountains and saying, where does my help come from? So is this a momentary promise, though? Does, uh, can I call on God when I need him? And then when he's, when, whenever that situation's through or there's some sort of conclusion to it, does he just scamper off? No, verse 4 tells us, Behold, he who watches over Israel will never slumber or never sleep. You see, God doesn't slumber or sleep because he doesn't need to. He's always watchful, always alert. He's never absent. He's never aloof or uncaring. So we don't worship a God that comes and goes on a whim. He's always on guard. So that, that's our second principle. The first one is his sustaining presence. God is absolutely sovereign. The second one is God always stands firm with us. Which sets up our second to last couplet. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not beat down on you by day, nor the moon by night. As Israelites were traveling on their pilgrimages back to Jerusalem, the weather could be really hot. And so the physical elements were always a concern. And so this is another one of those that if you look at it literally, you'd go, 
does he really protect us from the sun? Because obviously the Israelites were going to cover up and prepare for the weather, right? And no, no, no offense to anyone, but I'm white. If I don't wear sunblock, I turn into a tomato. And so I've got to prepare for this, the, the sunlight. I've got to. So again, what is the psalmist saying? This one's cool. And I, I've thought about this. What is he saying? At, let, me, let me get it perfectly here. He says, at my right hand. Is that right? The Lord is your shade on your right hand. I was like, that's weird language. Is he dissing left-handed people? I mean, I don't know. Is that, is that what's going on here? He said, this is, this is so cool. The picture of it is awesome. As the Israelites are walking on their pilgrimage, God's standing right on their right hand and creating shade. That's awesome. Just think about it. That's how big he is. He's just creating shade. He's a giant moving cloud. As they're walking towards Jerusalem, he's creating shade for them. You know why? Because he's so close. I think I remember as a dad, my kids coming to me at a pool, and they're like, dad, dad, dad. And they swim up, and the sun's right in their eyes, and they're like, dad. And I, all I would do is just move between the sun and them. And then they'd go, oh, can I go off the diving board? Go right ahead. They stopped squinting because I stood between the sun and them. What is harmful to them and just protective of them. But they had to be close to me to get the attributes of that. That's what the psalmist is saying. God is close. He was... um, the psalmist is reminding us of how intimate he is with us. You see, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We may not always feel his sustaining presence, but he is always there. So that's the third piece of this, um, of, our, of our illustrations here, is that his sustaining presence, he's absolutely sovereign. He stands firm with us. And the next one is God is always close and we are never alone. So we come to this last couplet, and I think it's a, it's a doozy. It says, the Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. Now, as I stated earlier, it doesn't seem as though God protects us from every single evil. He actually allows the struggles of life sometimes so that we know him better so that we do turn to him. I mean, truly, on our earth, we have violence, cruelty, injustice, abuse. I'm a victim of that. I could say, God, where where were you then? And the psalmist reminds me that sometimes the evil things do happen to us, but he does give us a picture of what he protects always. And this is beautiful. He says, he will keep our soul. See, he protects and keeps and never loses sight of our soul because it's the very essence of who we are. In Psalm 139, David states, your eyes saw my unformed substance. That's our soul. It's not our bodies. It's not our ethnicity. It's not our gender. It's the unformed 
formed substance. It's who we are. It's our hopes. It's our dreams. It's our desires. It's our memories, our soul. And God says, when you trust me, that I will never let your soul be taken. He protects our very soul. As we sit in God's sustaining presence, we learn who he is. We learn that we are made to love him. That's what our soul yearns for. We learn that we are slowly reshaped into the image of his son. But for those who have put their trust in the redeeming work of Jesus, we understand that this is the only way our souls are kept from evil, though. And the good news of Jesus Christ is written out in that eighth verse of this psalm. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time and forever. It's eternal. We are locked away in who Jesus is because of his work on the cross. So here's the four principles. In his sustaining presence, God is absolutely sovereign. In his sustaining presence, God is all, always stands firm with us. God is always close and we are never alone. And the last one is, in his sustaining presence, God reshapes who we are. Now, the Bible tells us that there's bad news too. And I'm not so sure we don't understand the good news of his saving grace unless we understand the bad news of our own depravity. For those that haven't come to believe in the saving work of Jesus, here's the problem. Then your soul does not fall under God's protective and sustaining presence. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says we are objects of wrath. There are only two types of people on earth. You, you want to hear a lot of different types of people on earth, but there are only two that the Bible says, we are either an object of wrath or we are a child of God. And it's nothing we did. It's by his work on the cross that that happens. Because here's, here's the deal. It sounds like a harsh reality, right? You're either in or you're out. And if you are, you're out, man, you're, you're, you're an object of wrath. By choice. That's the problem. Because we are left to the world's authority or our own will or our own standard for righteousness. Do you know what own standard of righteousness means? Self-righteous. I get to determine righteousness. And God would say, there is no other God but me. So we make a choice to be an object of wrath or by his sustaining presence, his goodness, his work on the cross, we fall under the reign and rule of a good king. And if you're honest with yourself, I would say all of us in this room, whether we know Jesus or don't, would admit to this. I've tried to find satisfaction in the things of this world. Think through it. High school graduation, I'm going to be different. Well, not that much different. College graduation, it's going to be different. It's not that much different. If anything, life gets a little harder. Married. I bet you if I get married, it's going to change everything. I bet you. For my wife, it got worse. So, 
I don't know what happened. Marriage doesn't save us. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Job. That's going to, that's, when I get the job, the job, that's going to do it. If you're, if you're honest with yourself, how many of you would go, that did it. That's what saved me. What about security and money? If I get enough money, if I get the right car, if I go on the right vacation, we all know, right? All of these things make horrible saviors. Horrible saviors because they always leave us wanting more. So I think the greatest enemy of God's sustaining presence to me is self-reliance. Because even if you do know Christ and still believe that we can arbitrarily walk through life on our own power, our own skills, our own self-reliance, our own talents, we'll continue to miss out on God's beautiful, sustaining presence. In 2018, I was working for Texas Tech University, and I was the principal of... um, international partnerships, and I work for a department called TTU K-12. It's an online school system for kindergartners through 12th grade, and beautiful program, wonderful program, and I loved what I did, but in 2018, we, we fell under another department. It was a higher education department. They came in and started analyzing what we do. I had zero problem with this, but changes started to be made. They had a different focus. They really looked at a bottom dollar, which I understand. Higher education is a business. So I understand that. So they came in, started looking at restructuring things. Amy Eaton is in our crowd right now. She was one of the teachers then. But there started to be some decisions that were moving away from real kid-focused things to much more economic-focused things. It happens. That's all right. But I thought, in self-reliance, I'm untouchable. I built a program, a multi-million dollar international program. I was the cat's pajamas, whatever that means. I just made that up right there. (laughs) Hi, Todd. I'll stay on script. Um, So I, I walk into a meeting. Seriously, I thought, I'm going to retire here. I thought this is... And I love working for Texas Tech. I love what I do. But that restructure was really starting to press in on lots of different people's jobs. But I really did think, I'm untouchable. I walk into a meeting. They said, we have enough of your line of administrators. We're moving you down here. Because the person above you has been here longer. I'm like, I get that. How does that affect me? It's only going to cut about 40% of your salary. I was like, what did you say? (laughs) I'm untouchable. You you can't touch my salary. We just bought a home the year before. We just started budgeting towards my own salary. I mean, our lives were like, and this is a first world problem. I didn't lose my marriage. No one was dying. My kids were okay. But man, I felt like I got kicked, right? Self-reliance. I got this. I had been drifting away from God's sustaining presence all along. I, man, I've got this figured out. I think I've got this wired, Lord. If you ever say those words, be careful. I got it figured out. So I'm sitting there and I call Amy and I'm like, 
this just happened. My dear wife just said, it'll be okay, let's pray. What the next year taught me was invaluable. It's not up to me. God has a plan. It's perfect and good. And there was a time period in the middle of this, I just thought, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but I absolutely, all chips into the middle, I follow you. And I promise you, within a month, my father-in-law came to me and said, hey, they have an uh, executive pastor position over at Melanie Park. I was like, well, that's weird. Here's my first reaction. Here's my, <laughs> Here's my first reaction. I don't want to go back into the ministry. I just said, all chips to the middle, right? <laughs> Amen, Lord, I'm whatever you say. Hey, uh, executive pastor, not that one. I don't want that one. <laughs> Here's why. Here's why. Because you people are messy. <laughs> just like me. Ministry's hard. We're broken. It's hard. Life's fall apart. Sometimes we don't feel God's sustaining presence. It can be hard. But I submitted to him and said, okay, I'll walk with you, Lord, whatever this looks like. So I went through the interview process. There were three different times I was like, I didn't get that job. <laughs> and God just kept bringing me back. And here's what's happened. I didn't just get a job. I got a family. I get to walk in this life with you guys. The hard, the celebrations, the fun, the worship. I mean, let me tell you this. I couldn't pick a better group of people to kick down the gates of hell with. Let's follow Jesus. <laughs> You're clapping for yourselves. Good job. You're my family. This is the cool part. I get to live in eternity with you guys. And if I didn't submit my heart, if I'm self-reliant, and I say, and I don't look to the mountains and say, where does my help come from? Well, it comes from me. You talk about some spiritual slipping, some physical bruising and, and bumps. That's what happens. I get to walk through life with my family here at Melanie Park. That's awesome. And I praise you, Lord, because of it. Most days I don't know what I'm doing. But I sure love it. And I'm thankful to the Lord. 2018, I would have never seen this coming. And if I'm real honest with myself, there was a little bit of miserable life going on for me. And God said, I've got you. I'm close. I stand firm. I am sovereign, and I'm going to continually reshape you to look like my son. You know why he does this? Because he loves us. That's cool. That's something to rest in, is that he loves us. And Paul writes this really beautiful portion of Romans 8, and right at the end of it, it heads downhill, like accelerating towards just this beautiful truth. So we're going to read this and pray, and then we're done for today. Romans 8, 
starting in verse 38, he says this, For I am sure, and in the NIV it says convinced, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nothing now or in the future, powers, not height nor depth, not the successes or my failures, nor nothing else in all creation, check it out, will be able to separate us from your love, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love. God's sustaining presence, God's sustaining presence is here in this room right now. And no matter what woes of life you're walking in, he's close. Let's pray. Father God, you, are the image of all that is beautiful and good. God, I thank you with a heart of deep gratitude that I get to walk with my spiritual family in their messiness, and they walk with me in mine. But every Sunday and on a daily basis, we point each other back to you. Whether we say these words or not, we look to the hills and we ask the question, where will my help come from? And God, you always answer, it comes from you. So God, I, we put our lives at your feet. May every heart in here be running towards you because you sustain all things. And your sustaining presence never leaves. Even when we're not faithful, you are. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a morning to praise you, to worship you, to look to you, to learn about you, and to grow a little bit more in our image of your son. So God, thank you for um, this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, application. So what do you do with this? Um, this? I've been reading this book called Deeper by Dane Ortland. Great book. But at the end of it, he says, so what do you do with all this? How do you stay within God's sustaining presence? He says to breathe. Then he makes a spiritual <laughs> illustration. The breathing is inhaling God's word. To spend time with the Lord every day. That's how we stay in his sustaining presence. And the exhale is prayer. Not just praying for our own desires, but God's will to be done on this earth and people that are hurting. So as you guys leave today, breathe. Inhale his beautiful presence through his word and his people. And then exhale through prayer. I know that's not much, but it's the most powerful thing on earth to change a culture around us. So let's pray, and then you guys are dismissed. Father God, thank you so much for holding us fast. Help us to breathe you in as we leave here to take a deep breath into who you are, not be in a hurry to leave your presence. But God, as we exhale, that we pray, that we get on our knees and we fight for our brothers and sisters and those that don't know you. All good things start with you, Lord. So may we pray that in your will, 
And so, Father, thank you again for this family to worship you with. Uh, May our day be in your sustaining presence. We pray this in the gentle and humble and beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.